Amen. Stand with me this morning. As you do so, I want you to physically grab your neighbor and shake them. Go ahead and shake them. Shake them. Shake that complacency off of each other. This is a good opportunity, husbands, for you to just grab your wife and speak some truth into her. No, we're, we're just, we're going to stay on the wives there. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Nobody walk here offended. I'm just joking. I'm so thankful that I have a wife that keeps me in place. Hey. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I read this text last week towards the end of our message. We're going to really dive into this part of Scripture this morning. This is part two of my church is kind of a big deal. Anybody believe that today? The title of today's message is, You're So Salty. Somebody say, You're So Salty. <laughs> We're going to start reading in verse 13 and go through 16. The Bible says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. And God, thank you that you have equipped each and every single one of us with gifts and talents and abilities to be salt and light to the world, to share the gospel with everybody we come into contact with. Lord, thank you for speaking to the disciples and speaking to us through this text this morning. Help us, Father, to be obedient to your words and go and change the world. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Now, I, I want somebody to shout me down today, all right? I don't, I don't want any spectators this morning. We're in this together. We're going to dive into the Word this morning, right? Or is it just going to be me today? All right, all right. As long as i got a couple amens here and there, we'll, we'll be all right. The, the church cannot accept the world's self-centeredness, easy solutions, immorality, and materialism. We are called to minister to the world while being separated from its standards and from its ways, right? Sadly, however, this is true, that the church today is more influenced by the world than the world is influenced by the church. That's the day in which we live. But it's time that we step up to the plate and show the world why we are a big deal. My church is kind of a big deal. This is not an arrogant statement. This is an arrogant concept. We are simply studying the facts that Jesus said in God's word. When it comes to the church, I want to refresh your memory on what we talked about last week. When it comes to the church, this is the first occurrence of this important word in the New Testament. It is the Greek word ekklesia, from which we get our English word ecclesiastical, referring to things that pertain to the church. The literal meaning here is a called out assembly. And like I told you last week, this word is used 114 times in the New Testament. And 90 of these references, a local church is in view. However... In the first use of ecclesia, it seems likely that Jesus had the whole church in mind, not just the avenue. 
He was not just building a local assembly, but a universal church composed of all who make the same confession that Peter made in Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And he said the gates of hell would not be able to stop us. God is a big deal. So we are a big deal. And my church is kind of a big deal. Here's the reason why this is such a big deal. Every belief, every religion has a set of rules. And, as, and Jesus is saying, I am the answer to that. I'm the bridge between God and man. You will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. That's the truth. Jesus is the solution to this scenario. So we believe the church is a really, 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 one more really big deal. We are the vessel that carries that message to the world. If the church is such a big deal, then what does that mean for me? Anybody have kids? Ever had a kid? Some of you don't claim them today. Some days are worse than others. That's not my kid. I don't know who that is. <laughs> but if you've ever had a kid, you know that there's usually some time in their life where they are connected to one thing, and they, they're attached to that one thing, and you cannot leave the house, God forbid, without that one thing. You can't go to bed without that one thing. You can't go to vacation without having that one thing if you've left the house and you're on a plane and you've forgotten that one thing you might as well get to the airport turn right back around and go and get that one thing because if you don't your vacation your thanksgiving your christmas will be hell some of you still have that one thing you just don't tell anybody about it it's okay one of my kids my little girl has a blankie and this blankie if she sleeps with it every night. If, if she don't have her blankie, it's the end of the world as we know it. Some of you got that. And you, you can forget. You, can, you might as well stay in there all night until she has just cried herself to sleep. She's got to have that blankie. And, and what's so crazy about this that she sleeps with it every night. She wakes up with it every morning. She drags it around. I mean, it's just it's like the blankie you see on Charlie Brown. And if you don't wash this thing, every now and then a smell will come out of that. And you're thinking, what do you do with that? What do you do with that thing? And so she's got that one thing, but she loves her blankie. She loves it. It's like her comfort when she's at night. She just, she's got this thing where she'll, I don't know how she does it. I can't even do it. And she'll wrap her fingers and the whole blankie will some, at some point go through her fingers. And I'm thinking, how do you, I mean, what are you doing? How do you do that? She, she loves her blankie. It means everything to her. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's this right here. How we treat something gives us an indicator on how big of a deal that something is. How we treat something is a good indicator on how big of a deal that something is to us. For example, I have, I have a lovely wife. Her name is Melissa. And she's much, my much, much, much better half than me. That's, that is not the place. To say that, I can't win for losing. <laughs> There's, <laughs> see, I was going to be all nice and tell how I asked you to marry me, but you know what? You were so lucky to be able <laughs> to sit there today and just sit there. 
But I, I have something on my finger that means everything to me. It, it's, a, it's a ring that shows that there's a covenant between her and I and that no matter where life takes us, I promise her to always be faithful to her. And if I lose this ring, it'd be a, this ring, it'd be a bad day. It'd be a real bad day. But in all seriousness, I look at this ring, I don't know how many times a day, and it always reminds me of the promise that I have to her. This ring means so much to me. I, I play ball in it. I lift weights in it. Well, used to. I, I run in I mean, everywhere I go, I mean, this ring doesn't ever come off. And if it comes off, I feel like my finger's gone. You're, you're, what? Something's wrong here. And so this ring means everything to me. What we do with something shows others how big of a deal it is to us. If, if you gave me an invitation to your house, I could take just a few minutes, if I were nosy, to walk around your house and probably get a good idea of what's a big deal to you. What means a lot to you. Some of you are thinking, I better go home and do something about that. <laughs> if, if you were to give me access to your bank account, I'm not going to ask you to do that. But if you were to give me access to your bank account, I could go and look at your statement and probably tell you what's the most important thing to you. It's just how, how it is. I would be able to tell relatively quick what's a big deal to you. What we do with something shows its value. What we do with something shows its value. Jesus came to earth with something very valuable. He came with a movement that we now call the church. Jesus didn't come so that he could take up residency and live here forever. He came to establish the church. He came to start a movement that can be given away to the world. He came to start a relationship. He came to heal the family of God. He came to bring restoration. You see, in our text today, Jesus is at the beginning of the greatest sermon ever preached. It's three chapters long. And it's full of rich, life-changing concepts that teach us how to live our lives. It, he says things like, if you get slapped, turn the other cheek. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> Give me another one. I love it. But really what it's saying, when somebody does you wrong, let it go. And if you know what, if it happens again, let it go again. He teaches us some crazy stuff in here. If you're asked to go one mile, go two. Well, do you know that I'm 64 years old? How in the world am I supposed to go two miles? I'm not 64. I know how old I am. He says things like if you have hatred in your heart, then it's a problem for you. He teaches a lot of awesome things, but he's preaching all this, this great sermon with the, the, the awareness that he will one day hand this over, this church, over to his disciples and continue this movement. It's probably at that moment Jesus went, oh, dear God, help me. I've got I've to teach them all this stuff before I just leave, and it's going to be chaos because they're going to have their hands on it now. And before he begins teaching them all these principles, he wants to make sure that they understand something. And write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, we are salt. Tell three people, you're so salty. I wish I had a recorder right now. I've, I was raised in the South. This is my hometown. I was raised here. <laughs> but it's so funny when you move away. And, and you're the guinea pig where everybody asks you to talk because you talk so funny because you're from the South. But it's one thing to hear it from you guys. <laughs> you're so salty. <laughs> you're so salty. 
Amen. (laughs) Jesus tells them that they are like salt and they are light. And salt to them would have been different than what it is to us today. See, to us today, salt makes every food better. (laughs) I, I have some people in my life that, I mean, you have some good cooks in the family. It doesn't matter how good the dinner is. They're always going to sit down at the table and say, pass the salt. And it's not just a, you know, it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm thinking, dude, your food has snow on it. But see, it wasn't like that for them. To them, salt was the refrigerant of the ancient world. It was a preserver. For them, it was so valuable. The Roman emperors would sometimes pay their soldiers in salt. It was from that practice that the expression not worth his salt originated. It was a very rare and very valuable mineral. Jesus was saying, in effect, humanity without me is a dead body that is rotting and falling apart. And you, my followers, are the salt that must be rubbed into the flesh to, the, to stop the decomposition. The church must be rubbed into the world, into its rotting flesh, into its rotting wounds, so that it might be preserved. So Jesus was not just saying we were throw some salt on the world, just throw some Jesus on the world, and it will make everything better. He was saying that we are the salt to the world. We are to preserve life. He said that we are the light of the world. He puts us in the world to shine before them so that they will see what God is doing. He's saying, I want you to organize your life around this concept that the world will see the gathering, see the movement, and they will look and say, your God preserves you. There's something different about you. When things go bad in your life, when things go wrong in your life, when your life gets rocked upside down, when when things don't go your way, it doesn't rock your world. You're able to overcome things that would have crushed me. See, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you if you're going to salt the world church you got to be salty somebody say you're so salty mark 9 50 says salt is good but if the salt should lose its flavor how can it be made salty have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. He's saying, I want to, you to organize your life around this concept in such a way that when the world sees you, it points them back to me. When they get around you, they should get exciting, excited about the big deal that you are a part of. You are the church. And you have the answer that the world is looking for. Somebody shout a big amen. So we are salt. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. The world needs salt. My whole message today is founded upon one main verse in verse 16 when it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The world is the place where believers are to move about and and to salt, to, to live and to minister. Why? Because the world is bland. The world is tasteless. It's decaying. It's rotting. It's corrupting and it's foul. It needs salt to bring it back to life, to give it flavor, to preserve it. Luke 10 and 2 says the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest and to send workers out into the harvest. John 4, 35 says, don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. 
Galatians 6, 9 said, so we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Church, we can't give up. We won't give up because the world needs us. The world needs us. People are dying. People are hurting. They're lost. They're hopeless. They're wondering, looking for an answer, looking for a solution, looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for happiness. And so they'll try to fill this void with drugs and try to fill the void with friends and try to fill the void with relationship. Then they try to fill that void with something that lies within each and every one of us, something that we only, leave, uh, only want to leave them with. They're broken. They're busted, they're abused, lonely, frustrated, and humiliated. And when all along the solution to their problem lies within you. They simply need a dose of what you've got. And his name is Jesus. Somebody help me out today. Jesus is saying, I want you to organize your life around this concept. I want you to live your life in such a way that lets others know how big of a deal it is. People should see your love for God. People should see your love for the church and cause them to come to the conclusion that it's a big deal. It's not a religion. It's not just a building we go to. It's not just a good habit to have. Jesus is saying, I want people to see life inside of you that will cause them to look back at God by the way you talk to each other, by the way you treat each other. Does your lifestyle cause others to want to know more about Jesus or less about him? Does your lifestyle draw people in or drive them away? In other words, are you salty? Push your neighbor and tell them, you better get some salt. I said, push them. <laughs> I'm having to keep you guys awake this morning. I'm not boring. Am I boring? I, I'm going to throw my iPad at somebody. <laughs> Give me the basketball. <laughs> Oliver Wendell Holmes puts it this way, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not acted and looked so much like undertakers. Some Christians behave as if they were baptized in lemon juice. Let's be real. Well, I'm a Christian. There ain't no way because you're hateful. <laughs> if you love Jesus, you need to notify your face. <laughs> we all everybody's like I know that person <laughs> mm -hmm. I know I know who you're talking about <laughs> some of y'all need to do this right here Woodrow Wilson told the story of being in a barbershop one time says I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. This is one of the presidents of the United States, just for those of you who don't know who Woodrow Wilson is. Every, every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody, which is one of the great evangelists of, our, of all time, was in that chair. 
I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Wow. That's the kind of effect that we as Christians should have everywhere we go. You should leave somewhere and people say, there's, there's something about that person that I want, I want what that person has. The, the world needs salt. And church, we cannot miss our opportunity. We cannot miss our opportunity. So we know the world needs salt. And lastly today, number three, we are to salt the world. We are to salt the world. Colossians 4, 6 says, Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Mark 16, 15 says, Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. I want us to see, church, how big of a deal it is that this church has been given to you and been given to me. He didn't come to build a monument. He came so that we can be reunited with the Father. He came so that we can have the church. And the church lives inside of us. We are the church. He wanted it to be internal, something that changes our lives, not just a place where we go, but a way of life that changes the world. We should be proud to be the church. Now, I need my basketball now. You see, a couple of us guys here at the, at the church had this crazy idea of getting a basketball team together. And... Um, been good there's about 11 of us 10 of us i think 10 or 11 of us and this was a couple of months ago we, we had this idea to do it be fun and um we got together for our first practice and i left going oh man we're really bad <laughs> and you know guys we we it was it was pretty crazy but, you know, a few years ago, I, I played ball my, my whole life. And, and if, I, if I got knocked down when I was in my teens, early 20s, I mean, I'd be, I'd be right back up, ready to go. But now, I mean, if I get knocked down, I'm like, I'm just like, y'all go ahead. <laughs> Can I get a timeout? <laughs> Sub. You know, just like, you fake an injury, you're like, oh, gosh, I'm getting up, I'm getting up. Well, the first game we had, let, let me just, yeah, I need Rick Bond. I need Rick. <laughs> the first game, we're 3-0, by the way. You know, we, we are 3-0. The first game we had, towards the very end of the game, I noticed a little, like, like a cramp almost in my quad. The next morning, I thought my leg was getting ready to fall off. I'm thinking, something... Something's not right. I mean, I used to be able to do this every day, and it's no big deal. And so the second game we had, we came out there, and I could barely even, like, jump. I li it was awful. I just had to call a timeout and pull myself out. I couldn't even play. We won again, though. We won again, 2-0. Well, in that game, Mr. Joel Keith right here found himself in the middle of a war. Joel doesn't, I mean, he has not played, like, half-hearted at all. Half-hearted is not in his vocabulary. He's playing for the trophy. <laughs> and when we get that trophy, doggone it, it's going to be mounted. 
<laughs> but he takes, he comes down the lane, and he, he's going to take this charge from this, like, 250-pound linebacker that's gotten the wrong sport. And he gets up, and he's a big dude. And Joel just, like, takes it like a man. Well, when he comes back, I'm standing right there, and it was a hard hit. He falls back on his back, and he couldn't catch his head. And we're playing on one of those concrete floors. It wasn't a wooden floor. And his head went pop like a bowling ball. And I went, dude! I was like, don't move. And he's like, oh, you know, it's like, I, I promise you, I thought when he lifted up, I was going to see just blood everywhere. It scared me. Her wife was like, that's my baby! You know? <laughs> and uh, he, he got up. I mean, I... I think he went by uh, Fred the rest of the game because he wasn't really sure who he was. But he said he was good. Um, but he hurt his back, and he, he had you know, a banged-up head, and he took him to the doctor, and they said he's fine. He said he was hard-headed. <laughs> just kidding, I'm just kidding. But he's doing good with that. Within the last game, Joel takes an elbow right underneath the ribcage. We're 3-0, and by the way. Just want to say that. Joel, Joel takes an elbow right in the ribcage. He's like, oh, I'm like, dude, you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. He plays the rest of the game, and then he, gets the, he has to go to the doctor the next day, and he has like a ripped muscle in his, in his ribcage. I'm like, man, I'm like, what are you, this is rec league, bro. <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? But, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing. Um, Jordan, stand up. Joel, stand up. Chris, stand up. I would tell some of you guys back there to stand up, but I'm afraid I may just, like, knock somebody out. So we're, we're just going to keep it right here. But, but let's just say that we're at practice, and we've invited Chris to come and play, and we're, and we're passing back to each other, and we're talking, and we're just practicing. It's okay, Joanne. Don't worry. And we're, and we're throw, we know Chris is over there, but we're just going to stay right here. Hey, Chris. And Chris is like, hey, man, it's me. And we're just... And we just leave Chris over there the whole time. We don't invite him to play, but yet we told him to come out and be, be a part of what we're doing. And, but, but Chris just stays over there like, like a champ, you know. He, hey, Chris, how you doing? But, you know, our first practice, you guys can sit down. Our, our first practice was, was kind of, good job, buddy, was kind of, kind of shaky. But, you know, we pulled th- things together. We're 3-0. But what I'm trying to tell you is that when we work together, it affects other people. And so what, what if we have Chris come, but we just keep Chris over there and we never want Chris to ever play. We just want him because he looks good. Right? But when you're a part of something that's bigger than what you are, it causes you to want to be a part. It causes others to say, you know what, I want to be involved with that. It should be something that we get so excited about that it affects other people. It should be something that you cannot wait to share with other people. After all, after all, we are not just the church. We are the church. Somebody say we're salty. <laughs> but you know, as we invite people to come to our church, we can't treat them like we would Chris. Now, don't go there. It was illustration, people. And we just leave Chris out of everything. What if you invite somebody to church and nobody wants them to get involved? We don't want to talk to that person because they're new. We don't want to talk to that person because they don't look like us. You look like us, man. It's okay. 
But let, let me just give you a downfall to our concept of the church. We, we as Christians have a bad habit of thinking that the only way we are going to get excited about church is if there's something going on at church for us that excites us. In other words, something that will feed our egos. You see, these are the people that we referred to last week trying to find a me church where it's all about me. Well, I'm not going to go to church anymore if they don't start playing my style of music. I'm not going to go to church anymore if the pastor doesn't start preaching my style and if he doesn't start wearing a three-piece suit. I'm not going to go to church anymore if, it, if, if so-and-so is going to go there. I'm not going to go to church anymore if they're not going to have a ministry that I can get involved in and I can be a char in charge of. I'm sorry, honey. I didn't know that there was an ugly ministry for the godly complainers. I did say that. These are the people that pretend to have the biggest shout on Sunday, pretend to be all spiritual and all holy, then turn around in the week and act like the devil. These people pretend to be spirit-filled on Sunday, and then out of the same mouth are hateful and rude, perverted, gossip, tear down people and cuss like they're a living R-rated movie. These are the deceiver believers. In the nicest way that I possibly can say this, if you're a deceiver believer, please don't tell people that you go to the Avenue Church. I'm just being real with you today. If you haven't noticed, I've seen for far too long a church that has been selfish and only concerned about what it can do for themselves. My passion is to actually be the church to the world. And let me just say that we definitely don't just exist for the already saved, we desire to see an awakening of souls in this region again. We exist for the lost. We exist for the broken. We exist for the alcoholic, the drug addict. We exist for the uttermost to the guttermost, to the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the young and the old. We exist for the ones that act like us and don't act like us, for the ones that know and the ones that don't know, for the ones that look like us and don't look like us. We exist for the world, and the world comes in all shapes and all sizes and all styles that's a good place for somebody to shout we are the church we don't exist for ourselves we exist to make God famous to the world we exist to show how people need to know that God is a very very big deal amen and like I said before imagine what it had been like if we invited Chris to come and just never let him play. What if we treated people like that? We want them to come, but you know what? Just stay over there and don't get involved because that ministry is already taken care of. Where is that even biblical? Everybody can serve a purpose. Everybody can find a place and get involved in We well, already have a drummer. We can have five. We, are, we already have singers. We can have 200 singers. Well, somebody already plays your play piano. It's called a rotation. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a place. If we don't include other people, they won't want to be around us. And Jesus is saying, I want you to organize your life around this concept in such a way that when the world sees you, it causes them to want to be a part of the big deal. But, listen, but, 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 but. Verse 13 says, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. If it loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything 
there, there have been several times throughout Scripture and throughout history that have been embarrassing for the church. Times that have actually been harmful and hurtful to the cause of Christ. And while we don't face any of those problems here at our church today, uh, I believe the problem we face is that the church has become common. Hear me. The, the church has become common. It's, it's not that big of a deal anymore to some. The way that we could lose our saltiness is to just attend church but never belong. Just attend church but never be involved. Go to church but never serve others around us. You see, what Jesus is saying in this scripture, it's a mandate for Christians to influence the world. God's only witnesses are his children. And the world has no other way of knowing of him except through the testimony of who we are. Jesus is saying it's what you do with this. Not what you feel. Not what seat you sit in. Or if you know all the songs, it's what you do with the church that matters. In biblical times... As today, salt was not only a preservative, but a spice, a condiment. Church, it's time for the church to bring spice and zest to life. The bland is savory and the unpalatable becomes delight. Believers must be salty not only because they are righteous, but because life is alive. We should, be the, we should write the best books. We should be the most courteous. We should work the hardest. Be the best musicians, the best artists, the best craftsmen, athletes, students, the best moms, the best dads, sons and daughters. If we lose our passion for serving, serving others, we become power for nothing. God has given us qualities that will benefit the world. He has positioned us strategically so that you can serve the church. Every single one of you are valuable. What are you doing to advance the gospel? What are we doing to advance the gospel? What are you doing to be salty? What are you doing to shine the light? How are you living that will cause others to see that your church is kind of a big deal? Jesus did not die to give you a Sunday option. Church, lunch, football, sleep. Jesus died to give you a Sunday opportunity every week to share the love and hope by serving others. Nudge your neighbor and say, you get to serve. So, so the questions are, what are you going to do with what he's given you? And what happens when we get to know people without Christ? Does it make a difference in their lives? Are we salt? He handed it over to us. To share it with the world. Church is not a spectator sport. It's a place to get involved to change the world. We exist to show the world how big of a deal God is. And that makes us a very big deal. But you know what? It's going to take all of us. What are we going to do? How will we live? That shows the world how big of a deal we really are. Are we living a life in such a way that will show the world how much God means to us? Are you showing the world that church is a big deal? After all, we are the hope to the world. So here Jesus is, early in his ministry in this text, just beginning to do what he was sent to do. Here he is teaching the disciples. Just a few, and according to our standards, unqualified men listening to the biggest deal this world has ever seen. Just a few men. Picture this. Just a few men listening to Jesus tell them that they are the salt to the entire world. 
unqualified, some of them uneducated, and according to their standards, some of them sinners, people that you would never call to lead. And he said, you are the salt of the entire world. Overwhelming. He was expressing a strange confidence in his followers. In essence, he was saying, I have great faith in you. I believe that you will function for salt to the whole world. I believe in you. I believe that you, my church, are going to be a very big deal. A very big deal. Joel, because I was picking on you, buddy, I want to... going to redeem yourself here in a minute. Joel, come, come stand over here, man. And, and, that, and this illustration, it's just this illustration. You're going to be the pastor of the most exciting church in Morristown. All right? I'm going to be the pastor of the most selfish, the most boring church in Morristown. And this is what I want us to do. At my church, I believe that I can be the only one in charge. No one else can lead. Um, in fact, nobody ever gets to help out. I, I do all that. Okay? But you, at your church, because you're the most exciting church in Morristown, when you bring people in, you enable them to use their gifts to be the church. And you allow them to have access to do things and to grow. So I want you to go find one person and invite them to church, all right? Go right now, right now. Go just invite anybody. Your wife, dude. Wife. I'm going to invite my wife. <laughs> it's the most boring church in Morristown. Congratulations. You're not allowed to do anything, though. Now, because you've, you've equipped Joanna, and you've allowed her to use her gifts, now both of you realize that you both serve a purpose in this world, so both of you guys can go invite somebody to church, and you can reach out to the world and help them. So invite two people, both of you. Go get somebody. So you've already doubled. But she's not allowed to do anything, because I'm in charge of this church. And I call the shots. So while she sits there because you're not allowed to do anything, I'm going to go invite somebody. Hmm. You know you want to come to the most boring church in Morristown. You have four, I have three. Big deal. But because all of you now have discovered that you all have gifts, and you know that each and one of you can do something in this community and change this world, all four of you guys go and invite somebody. you have eight what's the big deal with the avenue church the most exciting church in morristown big deal they got to be doing something right right they're stealing people they're they're giving them money they're you guys aren't allowed to do anything so i'm going to invite somebody else to church with me i'm going to get somebody that will beat up everybody that comes to my church <laughs> i wouldn't mess with this man if i had to we have four now what 
You're not allowed to do anything, though. There you go. Sit there. <laughs> now, because all eight of you guys know your purpose and know that you serve a purpose because Pastor Joel over here has released you all to serve and to minister, all eight of you guys go and get somebody. It's all right, guys. We're the most boring church in Morristown. These guys must be salty. Well, while they're discovering their gifts and realizing that they're salty, and they've already taken somebody by the name of Sarah, I'm stealing her husband. We're going to cause division. My church is the most hateful church in Morristown. And we're causing division. So we're going to grow. Don't worry, guys. It's us four, you four, and no more. Now, again, because you guys, you know your purpose, y'all go get somebody. Everybody go get one. So we're at five. You guys are at 16. (laughs) The most exciting church in Morristown is actually... Is actually serving and have a purpose. And these guys behind me are complaining because they're saying they're bored. Well, I'll go get somebody so you guys can have a party together. But you can't do anything. I'm taking Linda. And you guys can't have her. So you've gone from 16 to 32. We have five. Get you some of that. Get you some of that. Us five. Taking over the world. Let's see what you 32 can do. You can't steal our people. has again doubled two or three of my people got stolen one one of them had to go to work literally they said I was too boring I I hope you guys are seeing you guys are important it's just I've got no hope (laughs) realize that we are salt and light to the world there's nothing we can't do nothing we can't do we are the church we are not just the church we are the church and each and every single one of you have a place have a purpose and you have the answer that the world is looking for it's not rocket science it's Jesus it's that simple It is that simple. Amen? This is what I want you to do. Those of you who are, we're going to say that you guys have pinned them against the wall. 
You're not allowed them to serve. Just kidding. We all come down. I want us to come down and, and, and have a moment here in the altars together. You guys can turn around this way. Congratulations, Pastor Joel. You know, it's 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 exciting to be a part of something that's bigger than you. And it's a, it's exciting to be a part of something when you know you go somewhere and people love you. Y'all lovely wives, can, you can come to our church. <laughs> hey, anybody that's left, y'all come on up and join us. But I just wish, I wish I could have been there that day when Jesus was looking at just a few men there. And he's getting ready to lay down some amazing life concepts. And before he does all this, he says, listen. It's imperative that you understand something. You are salt, and you are light to the entire world. Be proud of that. Every single day you live is a mission field for you. A majority of us go to work. You'll wake up in the morning. Well, some of you won't because it's a holiday. But this week you'll go to work, and you're going to be surrounded with people. Surrounded with people that need the hope that you have. They're going through some of life's junk. And they're going through difficult times. It's that opportunity that, opportunity that you have to share the love and the hope of Jesus. You are salt. You are light. Don't hide it. Don't hold back. Don't miss your opportunity. Realize that the way you act, the way you talk, the way you treat others is going to show them how big a deal God is to you. The way you treat God, the way you treat your relationship with Him, and the way you treat the church is going to show the world how big of a deal it is to your life. I want God to be proud of what we do. I want Him to be looked down on us and say, man, I'm so proud of you guys because you're showing the love and you're showing the hope to anybody and everybody. That's in fact what he told us to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To all the world. That's you. And if we put our minds together, we put our efforts together, put our muscles and our talents to use, we can save every single soul that is not serving Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's ridiculous, Pastor Justin. That's not even possible to do. With God, all things are possible if you can dream it you can do it and if your dream to you and your strength is attainable you're not dreaming big enough don't put any limits on what God can do I remember having a conversation right here in these altars several months ago and I said just wait until this time next year it's going to blow our minds where God is taking us. The amount of people that come to our church right now is about 140 people. That's awesome. In one year. In one year. And if we'll just simply do 
like Pastor Joel did. You got up, you got up the, the rankings today, Pastor. <laughs> but if each and every single one of us will just win one person this year, just, just one, we'll double in one year. Now, if, if we'll do what we're supposed to do and make disciples and teach that person that you won to become a disciple, we'll triple. And if we'll continue to do that, the sky's the limit. It, it's, it's, really, it's really not hard. I say it all the time. Loving God and loving people. That's it. Do you love them today? Amen. Are you ready to be salt? Are you ready to be light? Yes. Come on, let's pray together. Father, you are so wonderful. You are so awesome today. And God, we bless you. We honor you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of the church. God, thank you that you entrusted us to be the church to the world, to bring hope to the world. Help us, Father, to be obedient to your word. Give us compassion for the lost. Give us passion to win the lost. God, I promise you, we promise you that everything that's done, all the great, all the awesome things that are done, we will never point back to us and say, look what we did. Because, with God, without you, none of it's possible. So, God, we will promise to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because you alone deserve all the glory. You alone deserve all the praise. You alone deserve all the credit. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. You are so awesome, God. We love you today. In Jesus' name. Somebody say a good amen.